Hi friends. Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series. We're in the middle of the holy days, the depths of the winter solstice, right between Christmas, Hanukkah, and the new year. And I thought it would be nice to get out in the mountains with you, get out in the cold, the elements, and share a uh, chapter from Why on Earth, a chapter called Change, which is really uh, being shared in the spirit of the changes we can make in our own lives, in our own communities, really changes that affect our whole world, as perhaps some of us will be setting intentions, New Year's resolutions for this coming trip around the sun. And uh, may this little chapter be an offering of joy and success to you with any of the changes you're cultivating in your life this year. I'm struck by the power of the self-creative aspect of our human experience, our human journey. There's a beautiful word, autopoesis, meaning self-creation, that is part of this pathway and this opportunity, it seems, that we have to transform ourselves in our life journeys. You may notice a little wind as I'm reading. You may even hear the call of raven, the call of eagle, perhaps hawk. And I invite you to just enjoy these elements, enjoy these creatures, these friends. Behind me is the Continental Divide, the headwaters of ultimately the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico here on this side. Just over those mountains, the water flows to the Pacific instead. So here's a celebration of change, which is the the 28th chapter in Why on Earth, change. The only way to get where we really want to go. Nelson Mandela tells us, you can never have an impact on society if you have not changed yourself. William Shakespeare said, it is not in the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. And Lao Tzu says, if you do not change direction, you may end up where you are heading. I like that one. It's got some humor and levity in it. So here we go. Are you exactly the same today as you were last year? Last decade? No, of course not. Obviously not. Change is that one constant we all experience in our lives. We change. The world changes. We must change. It is both a truth and an exhortation. Our world is changing rapidly. Our climate is changing globally, and we can change thoroughly. If we are not yet sufficiently unplugged, sufficiently listening, thinking and speaking, sufficiently envision and creating, what is to be done? We must change. If we are to survive, if our culture is to survive, if we are to create a sustainable future, we must change. Change is certain. But to what end, in what direction, that is not yet certain. That is a function of our choosing. Our choosing as a society, as a culture, as individuals. 
from the previous chapters we have explored and possess much more why change is critical, but what about the how to change? What are the tipping point mechanisms we can employ to create the change we want? Many of us choose to change our own lives, repatterning our habits by hacking our dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin cycles to increase balance, health, and well-being. Sometimes change comes slowly, sometimes steadily, sometimes quite quickly. We can also change our culture together. We can do this very, very quickly together. With memes, tools, and techniques, we can culture crack together, creating the world we really want. There is a connection between our individual ability to make deliberate changes personally and our society's ability to adapt and change as well. As climate change and rapid desertification impact regions like North Africa and the Middle East, as the lives of island and coastal communities worldwide, most especially the poor, are disrupted by rising sea levels and more intense storms, let us ask, are we willing to change? to work and to create a sustainable future and to help our global human family. There's a lot to think about. I'm inviting us to explore how our intentional changes will create more hope and how more hope will create greater positive change at a time when change and when hope are terribly needed. This is not easy, but it is worthy. We're talking about changing both ourselves and our culture, our own habits, and what we value as a people. Let's explore this a little more. We probably often think of change in two different ways. There's the change that just happens, that is foisted upon us. Sometimes it seems good, that serendipity at play when we meet somebody special or find a book at just the right moment. But sometimes it seems bad when we get hurt or in an accident or natural disaster or suffer an unexpected loss of some kind. Regardless of whether it's good or bad, we might call this external change. There's also the change that results from our deliberate action, from the intentional directing of our will and our consciousness. And whether it's good or bad, we might call this directed willful change. External change impacts internal change. Internal change impacts external change. Our individual change impacts societal change. Societal change impacts our individual change. Change impacts the individual and change impacts the world. Change is both the ever-evolving dynamic of an apparently random universe and it is the focused direction of our willpower. Our willpowers are deployed and directed both individually and collectively as a society. With directed change, the image comes to mind of a rough-hewn stone block that is ultimately to become a polished cube or sculpture. We envision the transformation of the object and then exert our will and creativity to make it so. The stones of our lives are carved and polished through the process of tumbling about, learning, experimenting, growing, and developing memory, both individually and collectively, of what works well and of what doesn't. This essential memory creates background and context, providing greater insight and foresight as we go forward. Of course, this isn't a solo activity. Let us recognize and celebrate with gratitude those certain teachers, certain mentors, certain 
parents and elders who help us along this pathway of development and improvement. But at the end of the day, it is beautifully liberating and empowering to see that above all others, we are our own primary stone polishers. In collaboration with the mysterious divine, we are ultimately the sculptors of our own lives. We ultimately each choose for ourselves, for our lives, our health, our well-being, our families, our communities, and our world, whether, how, and why to change. When we choose to change, it is through our own will, our own power, our own divine spark of beauty, of self-awareness, of creativity. Like a ship on the high seas, we are our own captains. Whether we believe in God, in a great architect, in a divine and natural intelligence or not, we might all realize that our individual free will is the most precious gift of opportunity and possibility we are each given in life. The initiative of our personal spirit is among our greatest treasures, one of the greatest forms of wealth we will ever have. And we each have this precious treasure as our birthright. As my friend Laith Matthews discusses in his book that I mentioned earlier, The Four Noble Truths of Wealth, at the core of this process of deliberate change is the practice of making friends with ourselves. Laith has helped me realize that in so many ways our cultivation of both individual joy, health, and well-being, as well as a more sustainable planetary society, is essentially about making friends with ourselves. Truly, deeply befriending our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our emotions, and even the trillions of micro-critters that live on us and within us, and that, of course, significantly influence our minds, bodies, and well-being. Perhaps this is like cultivating an artistic ability when we want to change. When we want to make a change, we will be much more effective pursuing this change with joy, ease, and grace than we will with a self-directed violence of shame, blame, or harshness. If we were to try our hand at painting and get mad with rage that our first work isn't some masterpiece like a Picasso or a Rembrandt, what sense is that? We have the opportunity to make all kinds of life-hacking changes in each of our own individual lives. Our own life-hacking potential is a gateway into tremendous empowerment. Some of these changes are moving away from patterns and habits that aren't contributing to our health and well-being, or the health and well-being of our loved ones, our community, our planet. Others of these changes are moving toward patterns and habits that do contribute to our health and well-being. This may include habits and patterns around unplugging from technology, reading more books, talking with more diverse people of different ages, interacting with living soil, preparing and eating more fresh and lacto-fermented fruits and vegetables. Those changes that are moving away from unhealthy habits, we might call put-down changes. That is, we want to put those things down. The other changes moving toward health and well-being we might call pick-up changes. We want to pick them up and we want their frequency of expression to pick up in our lives in a big way. Some of the put-down changes we might desire to make are very difficult. It takes some of us a tremendous and sustained level of willful determination to quit smoking cigarettes, for example. I know firsthand how hard it is to quit smoking. 
Although it's not a laughing matter, the challenge of quitting smoking is cliche, and there are countless jokes about how hard it is. My favorite is that one by Mark Twain. He said, giving up smoking is the easiest thing in the world. I know because I've done it thousands of times. <laughs> Although it may not obviously seem like this is a matter of life and death, for many of us it really is. Or at least it truly is a huge matter of quality of life. The hardest habits to quit are often the ones that once achieved, quitting them, putting them down, will yield enormous healthy benefits in our lives. They are worth quitting. I remember trying to quit smoking cigarettes so many times, I lost count. Like many other people, I started smoking as a teenager, and boy was I hooked. Morning coffee, time for a smoke. Thinking about writing a paper for school, time for a smoke. Stressed, time for a smoke. In the afterglow of making love, time for a smoke. My brain and my body's chemistry were totally wired with addiction to the nicotine-laced chemical cocktail. I had, like Mr. Twain, tried to quit smoking many times. And it was not until I finally made the firm, rock-solid decision in 2006 that for my own health and for the health and future of my children, it was time to quit once and for all. And so I did, with a little help from my friends. I remember driving across the state line into Colorado with my dear friend Adam after visiting West Jackson's Land Institute in Salinas, Kansas. I had made the decision, it was in fact a process culminating over the past several days, that this was it, once and for all. My buddy and I decided to relish in a final cigarette listening to some blues traveler with the windows down and the wind blowing all around to just absolutely delight in this final cigarette as we approached the border heading back into Colorado. That was the boundary, the border I had set for myself that once crossed, I would never go back. That was the last time I touched a cigarette, over 10 years ago now as I write this. Sure, there have been times at parties with old friends that the thought has crossed my mind, the temptation has been there, but the voice of my agreement with myself and my God has emerged stronger every time. I am profoundly grateful for that. My health is unquestionably better. It is even better financially for me and my family. And guess what else? I have also exercised much more regular, rigorously and frequently in the ensuing years than I did while a smoker. Talk about positive feedback loops all the result of choosing to change and hacking my own serotonin biochemical life patterns and habits. As Charles Dewey conveys in The Power of Habit, the golden rule of habit change, you can't extinguish a habit, you can only change it. There are mechanisms of neuroplasticity that cause our brain and neurobiochemical programming to morph in ways that reinforce healthier and healthier patterns and habits. Norman Doidge, in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself, tells us the brain is a far more open system than we ever imagined, and nature has gone very far to help us perceive and take in the world around us. It has given us a brain that survives in a changing world by changing itself. Quitting smoking is an example of a put-down behavior change. We all have these opportunities. Most of us are addicted or out of balance with some habit or another. 
we all have the choice to finally make that deep agreement with ourselves and our God to let that go. The shadow that follows us when we make these put-down decisions is the urge to fall back into the old habit or addiction. We can choose to gently love and embrace this shadow, yet resist with power as we continue forward, ever stronger on our path to deeper health and well-being. As for the pick-up changes that we want to make, there is a somewhat different process at play. The singular decision point of profound agreement we make with ourselves may still be quite similar, but the ongoing practice of cultivating the new habit is of a different nature. It is not resisting some urge or temptation, but is instead developing the mindfulness and the habituation that allows us to incorporate healthier habits routinely into our daily lives. This requirement of deliberate habituation and pickup changes is, I think, what Winston Churchill was talking about when he said, continuous effort, not strength or intelligence, is the key to unlocking our potential. There are some that might be easier than others. Perhaps we're making the choice to eat healthier food. This involves an ongoing sequence of many small and simple decisions. Although our purchasing choices may seem small and simple, they can become very powerful in our lives. What we prepare ahead of time, perhaps on weekends, also significantly influences our ease of choices and options during the subsequent workdays. The pickup change of buying and eating healthier foods not only contributes directly to our health, but also increases our energy levels and vitality, making it easier to exercise, smile, and be generally more joyful. Often we'll find that positive pickup changes are more easily cultivated when we put down those negative patterns. Is it coincidence that I walked and jogged and practiced yoga more after quitting cigarettes? Absolutely not. The interactions of put down and pick up changes that we choose in our lives are incredibly interwoven and incredibly powerful. The key factor underlying our deliberate changes toward greater health and well-being is our willful choosing. Just as we can choose to improve the health and well-being and sustainability of our own lives and in our own families, we are increasingly recognizing that our personal changes will benefit not only ourselves and our loved ones, but also the whole world and the whole human family. By choosing to compost kitchen scraps, we build soil instead of contributing more landfill methane to the greenhouse gas loading of our global atmosphere. By choosing organic and fair trade foods, we are supporting the health and livelihoods of people in communities all around the world instead of subjecting them to poisonous chemicals and near slavery wages and conditions, while we're also promoting our own personal and family's health, well-being, and mental performance. We have the power to effect considerable change in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters all over the planet. And as Malcolm Gladwell shares in The Tipping Point, just as a similar trim tab is used on the giant rudders of large ships to change course, the small changes we choose to make in our own lives will cause huge changes over time. Now we've been talking in discrete terms regarding pick up and put down change, but they often really go together, hand in hand, and can be mutually reinforcing. Like the way my quitting smoking correlated to exercising more. Which caused which? Neither one is actually the full answer. They both caused and enhanced the other. 
As I turned to more exercise, my neurochemical constitution began producing more feel-good hormones like serotonin and dopamine from the physical activity, filling the void left by the craving of nicotine. As my lungs and cardiovascular system began healing from years of smoking, exercising became less and less painful and uncomfortable. We can probably each think of several ways in which we can make positive changes in our own physical neurobiological health. As we each choose our more of these positive changes, we'll not only get smarter and feel better in our own lives, we'll also have more and more positive impact through our consumer demand, community interactions, and ultimately, positive impact on our global society. There is so much available to us right at our fingertips and so much to celebrate with gratitude as we deliberately choose the changes that improve our lives and the lives of our families. But there's an arena of change that's not quite so obvious in the biophysical realm. One that is obvi ob ob excuse me, one that is absolutely critical to creating the future we really want. That is changing the way we think. One of the most noble and courageous forms of change we can cultivate in our own lives is changing our minds. Such change can be caused by learning new facts, gaining new perspectives by talking with others who have different experiences, and through our own changing experiences as we move through the chapters of our lives. To change our minds is one of the most powerful forms of healing and reconciliation. It often requires immense courage to admit to ourselves and to others that we have, after considering additional data, information, knowledge, and wisdom, come to a different conclusion, belief, or view than we previously held. It can be scary, especially as so many of our most strongly held conclusions and convictions make up the sinew and glue that bond us with our closest friends and allies. How difficult it is when we realize we're actually seeing things quite differently than we did previously, and then our closest circle still do. Can we engage that change with love, compassion, courage, and soft, measured communication in order to strengthen and not weaken our relationships? Can we maintain the God-inspired perspectives that we've come to and not be swayed back to the mainstream of our immediate circles? Can we find and engage with new friends and allies as well in order to nourish and celebrate our dynamic and evolving worldviews? To change our minds is one of the most noble and most challenging virtues we can cultivate. Let's pause here and reflect. When is the last time you remember changing your mind after gaining new experience or learning new information? After speaking with others and encountering new knowledge and wisdom as the result of others' experience? We can reflect on such change in our own lives. The truly brave among us will share and converse how and when we've changed our minds with others in safe circles. Our world needs us to do so. Our world needs us to really consider and reconsider some of the underlying assumptions of truth that have formed the veil of our unsustainable and unhealthy status quo. Change takes courage and is for the courageous. For it often requires us to examine, recognize, and rewire the imprinting we've previously received in life from our families, our 
teachers, our friends, and our small community bubbles. It is a refashioning of our neurophysical psychological imprinting that is at the core of deliberate change. It opens up a vast world of possibility and tremendous mystery, a world in which the potential and capacity for co-creation with the divine nature of the universe is activated and will necessarily surprise us. The greatest minds have known this as an absolute truth through the ages. As Shakespeare said long ago, we know what we are but know not what we may be. It requires great strength, determination, and courage. It is actually far easier not to change, to reinforce old patterns, old assumptions, old antipathies, old certainties. But this is a deadly path, a path ultimately leading to psycho-spiritual decay and demise. As George Bernard Shaw once said, progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Not to change is weakness and is anathema to God's creation and divine spark of evolution and growth that exists in each of us. To hold on to old assumptions, beliefs, and convictions, moreover to dig again with stubborn indignation is the sign of an ossifying mind and a lack of faith in the divinely created mysteries at work in the universe. How could any of us humans possibly have a solid and constant purchase on the truth throughout our lives? What an absurd position to take in the face of God's infinitely unfolding creation. Changing our minds and changing our culture is to conspire with the unfolding mysteries of the divine. The more we each proactively choose to change toward health and well-being, toward care and stewardship, the lower the risk becomes of large catastrophes and calamities in our own lives and around the world, resulting from our collective impacts on the planet and atmosphere. These are the dimensions of the power lying within the realm of active and deliberate change. May we cultivate the strength and courage to pursue such change with increased vigor and conviction. And let us also, meanwhile, have the wisdom to prepare ourselves for those unexpected and disruptive changes which we can neither foresee nor control. For we all certainly experience them in varying ways from time to time. We can prepare our minds and hearts for these changes. We can draw sublime wisdom from great teachers and leaders to do this preparation and to help us through very challenging times of upheaval. Friends, family, mentors, counselors, spiritual guides, and even certain books will be precious allies during these times. One of my very favorites is Pema Chodron's work, Comfortable with Uncertainty. I was given this book by Winter while going through that very challenging loss that I discussed in the chapter and vision. My business partners and I were forced to close our business after a decade of dedication, tirelessly hard work, and incredible feats of sheer willpower through harrowing challenges. Winter's support and children's book were a godsend. During this time of profound sadness and searching, asking what's next, I spent time at the Pacific coast of Oregon, along alone at the shore. Just me alone on the cold gray beach with the waves crashing in this otherwise silent solitary space in March. One wave after another after another. 
I read passages from Comfortable with Uncertainty. They opened something up inside of me, deep, deep inside. And I realized I wasn't alone at all. Comfortable with Uncertainty is a soothing and meaningful book to read during times of disruption, of loss, of challenging change. In it, Chodron reminds us we can try to control the uncontrollable by looking for security and predictability, but the truth is that we can never avoid uncertainty. This not knowing is part of the adventure. She also tells us in a beautiful acknowledgement of our interconnectedness that we work on ourselves in order to help others, but also we help others in order to work on ourselves. Her message encourages us to recognize that it is through vulnerability, patience, and forgiveness that we will awaken our compassion for ourselves and others and become the change we want to see in the world. I am eternally grateful to Winter for sharing it with me and have since shared children's book with several friends when they themselves have gone through times of unexpected change and loss. My friend Howard, whom I didn't actually know all that well when I shared the book with him, said it was an incredible gift and companion during his time of pain from a very unexpected divorce after decades of marriage. I only knew about his divorce through a community group in our town, and the fact that he was willing to open up and share a most vulnerable personal life story with me. It was our human connection because of our willingness to be vulnerable. It opened the doors for powerful change to enter into our realm. There's something to the alchemy that can occur when we're going through experiences of loss and devastation. There's a magic alchemy that allows us to connect more deeply with people. It requires of us that we open our hearts, that we let down our guard, that we share honestly and authentically that we're hurting that we don't have all the answers, that we're perhaps mustering all of our strength to just take it day by day right now. It's absolutely wondrous the way people will show up in our lives when we open up in this manner. As Brene Brown tells us, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. It creates a vessel of connection that invites others to let down their guard to share their imperfections, vulnerabilities, and perhaps reflect on some of the challenges and losses and devastations they've experienced. Some of their changes. It invites a depth of humanity and empathy that isn't often the protocol in our day-to-day -day lives of work and business and goings-on. It's precious to open with vulnerability. It's sublime. It allows a sacred flame to emerge and dance between us. It allows us to connect to deeply and authentically form connections that will, in many cases, last a lifetime. Vulnerability presents us the gift of the forge of deep friendship. This is the opening of the flower of empathy. I often wonder what could happen, what will happen in our world as we each choose deliberately to show up with more authenticity, vulnerability, and empathy. A whole bunch of ravens just flew overhead. It's beautiful. Hello. 
and to communicate openly with this kind of courage in the face of our personal changes and societal changes. How vast and deep can our experience of friendship, of shared empathy, of mutual intention for greater health and well-being grow in our shared laboratory of change? I invite you to pause here for a few minutes and think about how our experiences of friendship and shared empathy give us courage and power to initiate change. Internally, externally, individually, communally, for ourselves and for our world, what comes to mind for you? Friends, our world, our Mother Earth, our entire global family need us to explore and cultivate this powerful force. We are being called now to relinquish old, outdated stories and paradigms of just be tough, of real men or real women don't cry, of just suck it up. The facades and veils of machismo, steel plate armor, and invincibility perhaps made sense in the biggest in, in the past. They were perhaps assets then necessary for survival in a world where the biggest and meanest bullies prevailed. But they are no longer assets to our society today. For the dangers and threats we now face are of a much different scope and scale. They pose a very different threat to us all. One that is better overcome by the bonds of genuine humility and forged empathy than by the might-makes-right consciousness of brute force. Those old ways are now great liabilities. We must change to create the world and the future we really want. In the past, it made sense to muster our strength and force to defend our tribes. Today, our tribe is the whole human family, and our greatest threats are coming from our own ways, lest we change. It is through the cultivation of friendship, empathy, humility, wisdom, and faith in something far greater than ourselves that we will quicken and amplify deliberate personal change and thrillingly that will lead our culture out to broader, healthier societal change. Especially now as our changing planet, our changing climate may likely disrupt and devastate more and more lives. To what depth of empathy and courage and humanity might we go for ourselves, for our friends, for our entire human family? Can we imagine our own humanity, our own compassion and empathy and courage coming alive in order to respond with patience, generosity, and assistance just as our friends do for us? Can we imagine? Will we understand that we can bring love and compassion into this world to counter the entropy and xenophobic tribalism otherwise taking hold? Will we realize the connection between our self-love and compassion and our ability to project compassion all around the world to cultivate resilience and sustainability in communities all over the planet? How many of us will quickly realize the truth that through love, compassion, and stewardship, we will find great pathways to getting smarter and feeling better. Let us know, let us understand, and let us embody that it is change that will take us where we really want to go. And let us cultivate the humility and the courage 
to see and admit when a course correction is in order. What will we choose? How will we change? Why will we go where we go? Socrates tells us, the secret to change is to focus all your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Alan Weissman says, change is the hallmark of nature. Nothing remains the same. And Dr. Seuss, with a little levity, tells us, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know, and you are the one who will decide where to go. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Happy Holidays. May this season of winter solstice of the Christmas, Hanukkah, holy days, holy nights, and the new year bring you great warmth and light and love and friendship. And may you find wonderful strength and compassion as you choose more change for yourselves and for our world.